Heather Jones, you've got a specialism in World War One, and slightly oddly, it's become a top story because our Secretary of State for Education, Michael Gove, has declared that it was a just war and that we should be clear that we were on the right side. Is this an example of idiot politics interfering in your discipline or has he got something right there? I think the key thing about the debate launched by Michael Gove is that it dates right back to the war itself. During the war, British society really mobilised around these values, that it was a just war, it was a war for the freedom of small nations, it was a war for de democratic values. So in many ways, Gove is simply picking up on what was actually said at the time. So really, in some ways, this was a war that was maybe moral, maybe not, but certainly popular. How on earth do you persuade a country which has a relatively free press and people talk to each other to mobilise in favour of their destruction? Because quite early on, people knew this was a, a really get-to-heaven card or a get-to-hell card, but not a get-home card. Absolutely. People know as early as September 1914 the scale of the casualties that the British Expeditionary Force is experiencing in Belgium particularly. Um, and the reality is men actually volunteer, the peak volunteering rates are that same month. So it, it's not a case of people volunteering not knowing about the casualties or the risks to their lives. Mm -hmm. uh, British men volunteer because they believe this war is worth fighting. How did they get that idea? Who gave them this idea, these people hanging around Britain and ordinary jobs and so on, suddenly think this is a good war? How do you get a society to think that? Well, in many ways, it's that free press you talked about earlier. It's the fact that the free press is able to report the atrocities that are happening in Belgium, particularly in northern France, during the German invasion. Germany has, has gone into a neutral country, Belgium, which is protected by a treaty to which Britain is party, and it is committing atrocities against civilians. 6,400 Belgian and French civilians are killed by the invading German army. Key cultural sites such as Louvain are burned down. So it's very easy for British civilians to mobilise, given this reality that international law has been broken, and there's a sense of real shock at, the, the, at this aggression, as it's seen, by the central mm. powers. But one of your specialisms within this specialism is prisoners of war. And you say, I think, that the French started this dreadful thing of bringing prisoners of war up to the front. Presumably we didn't report that, but we did report German equivalent action against prisoners. So was that part of the propaganda? I'm using the word propaganda because it strikes me it must have been selective, reporting some atrocities, some bad behaviour, but not ours. Of course, propaganda is going to be selective in how it reports those events and discusses them. There is little knowledge of what the French are, are doing to German prisoners in Britain. But that's also because there's quite bad communication between the British and the French yeah. at war. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that the, the German treatment of prisoners is worse in 1917. And because it's quite a ruthless reprisal sequence and a public one that Germany actually wants the world to know about, it's not very difficult so for British propaganda to, to, yeah. to, to discuss it. And do they construct something like a clash of civilizations as a way of justifying the war because we see that at the mm. present as well and are there ways in which it's counterintuitive for an historian that you can see that stuff that went on then makes more sense of today than if you didn't know it absolutely the clash of civilizations theme is fundamental to the first world war when war breaks out there's a dismantling of a kind of pan-european culture which germany had been really part of germans have got honorary degrees from oxford they're fated they're related to the british royal family they're really at the core of europe and this all has to be dismantled and this language of France and Britain standing for civilization, democracy. France particularly standing for kind of republican mm -hmm. values and Germany standing for the values of culture, a very austere, uh, non-mercantile culture, yeah. really comes out of the war. Yeah. And we can see that kind of language repeating itself in later wars and repeating itself even as recently as the kind of clash of civilizations yeah. language being used today about the West and the rest. And, that and is the kind of Islamic really, fanatics yeah. rather than Islamic culture. Is it exciting to have your subject at the centre of discourse like this? Do you sort of feel in your private moments grateful that World War I commemoration is coming along and all these people are getting stuck in? Is it fun for an academic to be on the front page? 
I would actually say one is never grateful for the commemoration of the First World War because the war was so absolutely awful. And what you spend a lot of your time reading are sources talking about human bereavement, trauma, mourning. One of the motivations for First World War historians is actually to get the message out there about what happened to these people, to tell their stories. And you talked in your previous question about legacies and about whether there are anything, anything is there, there anything that we gain of value of knowing about this past today. The key thing we gain are lessons about the nature of war, the nature of violent radicalization, and the nature of propaganda. So those things are the things that we want people to know about because those lessons are important for contemporary society. In a sentence, the guy doesn't shoot the Duke. There's no World War I. What would we look like today? Had the war not broken out, Europe at that point was modernizing incredibly rapidly in technological terms and economic terms. Societies had never had it so good in the West before 1914. The, the life expectancy had increased, workers' rights were improving because of the rise of the fear of socialism, so people were getting pensions, they were getting workplace insurance against accidents. Things were on, on, the, on the move. It was also a global society with free migration, free and free passage across Europe. You don't need a passport until the First World War. So we would actually, We would actually have advanced faster than we did with the interruption of the two world wars, yes. Heather Jones, thank you very much for submitting yourself to the Gear to Grilling. Thank you.